You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I really like the Verrazano Ridge. Like, I love the whole race, but I really like the start. It's so long that you can kind of, I don't know, and you're kind of alone a little bit because people have spread out already. But you still got all of this energy. Like, you know, it's like a mental jambalaya because you have, like, you know there's a hard race coming up for a long ways but you just started so all of your nerves are with you and you're going up a hill and it's like there's nobody there's no people because it's just the bridge and like the sun is rising it's my favorite part I feel like it's just like this like mind zone where you're just like it's almost like time stops you're just kind of in this weird mental space where it's like you're going up the hill there's no spectators around you have a marathon ahead of you that's in New York City and you kind of get a chance to like mentally get ready for that as you're climbing up the very first mile. That was Susanna Scaroni talking about the TCS New York City Marathon. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning in to the new Marnie on the Move podcast series, Long Slow Distance. The series is fueled by several of my favorite brands, Mad Ritual, On, Roca, Noon Hydration, Salt Stick, and Navitas Organics. Long Slow Distance is a seasonal podcast series purely focused on endurance sports featuring athletes, coaches, and industry experts offering a deep dive into training, technique, racing, insight, and advice, and of course, the mind-altering concept of Long Slow Distance, also known as LSD. The series is inspired by my training for the 2019 TCS New York City Marathon, born from my decade of training for running and triathlon events, and paralleled with my love-hate relationship of doing long, slow distance and my desire to be fast. I decided to embrace the concept and make it fun. I will be conversing with runners, triathletes, swimmers, nutritionists, doctors, and more. If you listen to Marnie on the Move on the regular, you know I often get into the weeds with Marnie on the Move endurance athlete guests about their training and racing, So I thought I'd do a focus series on one of my favorite topics, long, slow distance. Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Marnie on the Move podcast and series, Long Slow Distance. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. It's TCS New York City Marathon Week in New York City, and you can feel the energy everywhere you go. It's a super exciting feeling to be running and living in New York City right now. Earlier this fall, I caught up with a few pro athletes and marathoners about training, nutrition, racing, and more. Today's guest, Susanna Scaroni, is a two-time Paralympian on her way to her third Paralympics with Team USA for Tokyo 2020. She is the marathon world record holder at 130.41 from the Grandma's Marathon in Duluth and holds the 10K world best at 22.22 which she set at New York Roadrunner's Mini 10K. And in her spare time, she is finishing her master's at the University of Illinois, where she is studying to become a registered dietitian while competing in marathons around the world, including this week's TCS New York City Marathon 2019. On today's podcast, I sync up with Susanna about where her passion for athleticism and sports began. She dials me into the world of wheelchair racing for training, team, and strategies. We talk about training and race nutrition, mindset, and training your winning gear, 
And of course, we're talking about the TCS New York City Marathon. I hope you enjoy. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Go to your app, scroll through the episodes, click on write a review, click on five stars, and tell us what you love. But before we get started, a quick word about our fueling partners. As I mentioned, Long Slow Distance is fueled by a few of my favorite brands, the ones that I use every day for training, racing, and life. I wanted to quickly share why these brands fuel me for success and some of the great deals they're offering to Marnie on the Move Long Slow Distance listeners. Here we go. Mad Ritual has changed my recovery game in a big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high-quality CBD-infused products. Their CBD balm is off the charts amazing, and I'm not the only one that thinks so. Mad Ritual has 100-plus five-star reviews. The balms have five simple organic ingredients, coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So if you're sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. Founded by women, athletes, and active entrepreneurs, they are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. Head over to their website, madritual.com, use the code Marnie on the Move, and start shopping. Speaking of active, on running shoes offer runners the perfect mix of design and function. Running in on shoes is a game-changing experience thanks to their proprietary cloud tech technology. You really do feel like you're running on clouds, whatever your shoe preference is. I have several pairs as I am logging lots of miles for the TCS New York City Marathon and switch out my sneakers often depending on the distance and the terrain. Side note, I do have a few pairs that I use for fashion and every day. If you want to learn more about On, you can go to their website, onrunning.com, or you can download the episode of Marnie on the Move with co-founder David Alleman. Now, if you're a triathlete, you probably have heard of Roka. I've been wearing Roka wetsuits for triathlon for the past five years, and they've been terrific for my swimming, speed, and comfortability. When I learned they were expanding beyond wetsuits and goggles and introducing eyewear, I immediately got a pair of their sunglasses, which I have been wearing for the past several months. No matter how hard I try, I can't shake them off my head, which is great since I'm always on the move. All Roka products are high-tech, performance-focused, with functional design. Behind the brand are founders and athletes designing products for athletes like themselves. Learn more on the podcast Marnie on the Move with Roka co-founder Kurt Spencer or shop their website roka.com and get 20% off with our code Marnie, M-A-R-N-I. Now, if you're an endurance athlete, you know how important it is to replace electrolytes and salt as you sweat for hours on end. Salt stick caps have been my go-to for training and racing for years. They reduce heat stress, muscle cramping, and maintain electrolyte levels. Salt Stick also offers the only electrolyte capsules, liquid add-ins, and chewable tablets that were formulated to closely resemble the electrolyte profile lost during activity, which is sodium, potassium, calcium, and magnesium. Use the code MARNIE20 
for a 20% discount at checkout when you visit shopsaltstick.com. Please note, this is only available to people with a U.S. mailing address and expires on December 31st, 2019. My other go-to fueling and hydration resource is Noon Hydration. I simply add their hydrating electrolyte tablets into my water and I'm good to go. It tastes great. There are lots of amazing flavors. I'm currently obsessed with their watermelon sport hydration and the blackberry vanilla rest. Noon began as the first company to separate electrolyte replacement from carbohydrates. The result, a healthy hydrating beverage without all of the extra sugar and additives. Noon hydration is hydrating the planet. One runner, surfer, cyclist, yogi, hula hooper at a time. And the list goes on. They have taken the brand beyond sports and endurance with immunity and vitamin tablets. They use clean ingredients, and suppliers backed by third-party certifications and are non-GMO, gluten-free, and vegan. I highly recommend you add their tablets to your water as you race and train, whatever endurance sport you're doing. Lastly, but most importantly, for recovery and for fueling, is Navitas Organics. I am obsessed with their plant-based superfood ingredients and have been adding them to my smoothies for nearly a decade. From there, All-in-one organic essential superfood blends with protein, greens, probiotics, and enzymes for post-workout or even just for breakfast. I also use their maca for adaptogens, camo camo for extra vitamin C, and cacao. They also have an incredible line of CBD-infused wellness shots, restore, calm, focus, and bliss, and delicious superfood lattes. Head over to their website and stock up Navitas Organics is offering 25% off for your first purchase with the code MOVE25 upon checkout. Head over to their website, NavitasOrganics.com. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a chance to sample and try some of these great products. Now, on to the episode. Where did athletics begin for you and how did your journey get started? I would say, so before I was in third, I did gymnastics and I'm from a really tiny little farming community in Eastern Washington. And aside from farming, the big thing everybody does and is like super supportive of is sports. So it was just the culture to be like, everybody was excited to play basketball. When we got to third grade, we got to play basketball like for as a school. So like every other third grader in my class, I also was excited to play but I will say that was the kind of that was definitely the first experience that I noticed I was in a wheelchair like I said my community was tiny and supportive and one of the coolest things that they did for me that I realized now was I was never treated differently so I was injured when I was in kindergarten but it wasn't I didn't really notice a major discrepancy until I was in third grade when I started playing basketball and it was just like one of those things where you like you you pick up on like everybody was supposed to pass me the ball and like it took me longer to get across the court and then I felt like I was always just like catching up with everyone and so like that was like and they weren't in wheelchairs correct but that just shows how much I was excited to play sports like I I didn't even think about I didn't even know wheelchair basketball or anything like that I just like wanted to play basketball like everyone else but then I really did not enjoy that so I told myself I was never gonna play again and then, fortunately, in fourth grade, Shriners Hospital sent out this like mass invitation to all the patients that there would be a giant sports day where you could come and just like try out tons of different sports. Like there was rock climbing, wheelchair racing, basketball, tennis, and 
all kinds of sports. But I was introduced to the wheelchair basketball team that was up in Spokane, Washington. And they were like, hey, like, you should totally come join our team. It would be amazing to have you. And I was like, no way. I'm never playing basketball again. Like, I absolutely hated that. But my mom, on the other hand, was like, okay, absolutely. She'll be there. So <laughs> That's she, like, awesome. forced me to go to practice against my own will. And then it was exactly the reverse of the year before. Like, I just, I still remember the first basketball practice thinking how freeing it was to get to learn actual basketball drills and skills with no difference. Like, it was just the skills I was focusing on. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is in a wheelchair. And like, so it was almost like there was no wheelchair involved at that point. It was so cool. And like, I it just completely reignited my love of sports. So I joined their basketball team. And then as soon as track was starting in the spring, I joined the racing team. So two things are involved. Like I have a really great family that were willing to drive me up an hour away to practice twice a week. And then I loved it. And that's sort of how my introduction to sports started, like, and then to adaptive sports. And then I just continued to do basketball and wheelchair racing all the way through my senior year and then just focused on racing. Were there a lot of people at the time that were participating in the sport? I would say when I started, I was also lucky in that there were, it was a pretty established program. I had, I had a lot of athletes at the University of Illinois Mm -hmm. that I looked up to that I had seen at different camps that I'd gone to. And then even at some of the smaller like road races that Mm -hmm. I did growing up, there were pretty good fields of adult wheelchair racers there at that time. So I always had role models to look up to, which I can't say enough how much that meant to me just to like see what's out there. Because we don't, as you know, I'm sure we don't really have it on television. And unless you're lucky like I was to have an adaptive sports program somewhere nearby, you may never even learn about it. So I would see them at actual races and then I would see them at camps that I went to. So it was pretty established when I started, I would say. Yeah. I think what the major difference between now and then is, is the the technology has definitely improved. Like um, in terms of the wheelchairs and in terms yeah. of the yep. equipment that you could use to race yeah. with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are coming to compete in the 2019 TCS New York City Marathon. Yes. There's a little buzz that you might win. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would absolutely love that. I will definitely be trying. So tell me about the course. I love that course. A marathon is not a marathon, a marathon, a marathon. Like the, every course is so different. In New York City, I would say is one of the most physically challenging ones Oh God! Um, because regardless <laughs> of where you are um, in relationship to a field like to other athletes the course itself will be requiring you to push hard and work hard just because it's usually cold and windy and then you have hills at the very start you have hills in the middle and you finish on hills so it just I mean it, it pushes you past your limits and that's partly why I love it One of my strengths, I think, is being able to like psychologically stay focused when I'm getting exhausted. And that is that is a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of motivates me more. Like I like working hard. And so I like really love that course. It's not as technical or tactical as some of the other flatter courses, but it's grueling and Mm -hmm. everyone's being under the same conditions, which is kind of nice, too. Yeah. It's not just the person pulling a draft. It's 
everybody having to work hard up this hill. <laughs> well, so talk to me about that because you can draft. Yes, and it's a major difference. And it's a huge part of the sport. And it's, it's important to understand it, to interpret any race too. So in wheelchair racing, our chairs have three wheels and there's two in the back, one in the front. And because of that, they offer a really nice kind of windbreak if you're behind one. So we use drafting at a really high level, which is where there's just like a line of wheelchair athletes in a row. And the person in the front is taking all of that wind kind of raw and everybody behind them is at least slightly shielded. By the and wind. do you switch so, off like a Peloton or? Yeah. Okay. Um, at least in the women's division, we definitely switch off. It's different in the men's. I've I watched the Tokyo Marathon like they had filmed everything and I was really surprised like it's not the same store on the men's side but yeah the women we are we have a pretty good etiquette and when the person in the front is ready to pull over the next person starts pulling and but it does mean that the people behind you are going the same exact speed as you and working a lot less hard so It really matters in a marathon distance because you can have, unlike in an able-bodied running race, you can have somebody that's potentially conserved a lot of energy even at the end of a marathon Mm -hmm. sprinting past you at the end. So you have to take that into account in how you try to conserve energy during the race. It's just harder in some courses to wear somebody out, for example, because they can conserve energy. But New York... There's also not as much drafting in New York City Marathon because you start on a long mile long climb right? and then you go down a mile. So in wheelchair racing, that also separates the field really quickly because yes. some people are better climbing, so we're not coasting and it's just, it's going to wear out other people to catch back up on like they would have not gotten worn out on Chicago, for example. Right. So do you yeah. train like specifically for the course as you get closer to the race, like you'll go out and do hills and, and really train for the train. Yeah. A little bit. Our coach's philosophy is I, in my opinion, anyways, he doesn't specifically say this regularly, but from what I've observed, we work on a lot of different skills for every single course, because even if you're not climbing up a hill, you, if you're pulling a draft or if you are trying to, make an attack or something like that you might use the same sort of biomechanical skills to do that and so we just execute skills a lot and for any course you can kind of use something however we will try to do a few more hills than usual I think before Boston and New York so you're Um, also going to compete in Boston as well yes what races do you have coming up I will be doing Chicago and New York City and then Tokyo I might do OIDA Marathon, which is in November. I'm not entirely sure because we have World Championships as well in November. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Boston and London. Awesome. And so and hopefully then, yeah. make the Paralympic team next year. That's, that's the long my, the long goal. Yeah, that's my big goal. Um, awesome. And actually Chicago Marathon is our marathon trials. Okay. So it's that's my major goal right now is to just be able to do my very best Chicago that I can and try to make the team there. Awesome. So what's your training like? We, my training right now, we've gone into our like prep for Chicago. So Mm. we are, we're doing six days a week and then 11 sessions a week. So two of those are two a days or three of those two a days. And so what 
we typically do is we'll kind of rotate right now. We'll do intervals on the track one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are drawn out intervals when we're going into marathon season. Mm-hmm. So what I'm thinking about that is like 1200 meter intervals sometimes, as opposed to more like 200 meter intervals when we're just trying to pick up. I was just on the track this morning. Oh, nice. Yes. So are we. So we'll do intervals on the track and then another day we'll go for 19 miles out on the road and kind of shift that. In my opinion, I feel like we just rotate through those, which is similar to what we do all year, except for when we're doing more track specific things, we'll we'll bring the length of the intervals down and then do more of them. Um, And then you do a ton of strength training. Well, we do a little bit. We do strength training twice a week, but it's most of it is honestly shoulder preservation and mobility and stability work on our shoulders. Then we have adjusted our strength and conditioning to be only based off of velocity. So what that means is instead of like, okay, we lifted 40 pound dumbbells last week and you got all sets like 45 this week, we'll go like, okay, what weight can you lift at a certain speed that day? And so even if it's less or higher today, it doesn't matter. It's all relative to what you are at that day. And it's also geared to trying to move things quickly. So our strength and conditioning is trying to become explosive, even Mm -hmm. if it's not at a super high weight and just kind of keeping our shoulders really healthy. Right. And so it's almost like, like, in, in a sense, it's almost like if you were a swimmer, I mean, at that level, of yeah. like, you know, yeah. preventing overuse of your shoulders right. and your arms. If you can think of pitchers and swimmers, yeah. um, that's a lot of what wheelchair racers need to balance. What's the name of your team that you're on? So the University of Illinois has a wheelchair athletics program um, and the racing team is a club sport. So I do um, represent the University of Illinois. I'm also sponsored by Top End Wheelchair. And I am on the team top end as well. So I'm sort of like dual representation, but I train at the University of Illinois and love to represent them as much as possible. And you train at the University of Illinois? Yes, yes. So the University of Illinois, oh, like we, the home of the U.S. Paralympic National Wheelchair Racing Training Site is here. So all of the national team members, for the most part, are live and train here. So yes, I have great training partners here that I work with every day. What was the point in your life where you're like, I want to take my recreational love of training and sports and become a professional athlete? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think I'm, I'm assuming everyone is so different. And I think mine was more of an organic sort of like progression because I didn't come to Illinois the first two years of college. I went to a school in Montana where I was again, like the only person in a wheelchair and I had my racing chair with me. Like I didn't know if I would ever go anywhere else, like any farther, but I was still, I was training every single day of the week on my own just because I loved it. And I didn't ever record distance or anything. And then found out that I was doing like 20 milers when I, every day when I trained. So I, I just intrinsically love wheelchair racing and when in the second year when the coach here at Illinois contacted me and said they had a full ride scholarship opportunity I was like oh my gosh that was sort of like whoa is this something I love enough that I would just completely go back to what I did as a kid and like do it more seriously and I was excited for the adventure like that at that point I was just thinking wow it's like 
see what it's like to do organized training with an actual team because I had been doing it alone. And I just continue to still love it. I was fortunate I like fit in with the team when I got here and that helps a lot to, to maintain motivation. And I think partly learning more about nutrition and kinesiology continues for me, like just psychologically keeping excited about it because not only do I love doing it and have continued to like learn how to do it better and better and better, but I learn like the muscle physiology level and like from your diet, like how other things can impact sports. And I think I'm still just like someone that's excited about doing it. Right. It sounds like it. It's not so much for me about winning the race. Right. Well, the bulk of my career, it hasn't been. I would say it takes a little bit more like you do to like reach even higher. I think you have to really be competitive too. And I, it's something I've been learning and developing from that side too, like to just really want something. (laughs) It's true. It's like you do, there's something that makes the difference between like winning and enjoying what you do and also just like doing it at different levels. Right. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Completely. You can feel it. Yeah. It's like that do or die moment, right? Where you're like putting it all out there and you just like don't know what's going to happen when you put it all out there, but you just want to win. Yeah. So that's something I've not been great at in my life, but it's like it's something I can tell I'm I think I'm getting closer to being that way. Um, yeah. But honestly, for me, it's just been something I really enjoy doing and I love working hard. So I you can sort of mask the little, like lack of competitiveness if you like those two things sometimes. But when you want to win the New York City Marathon, like I think there is it's that point when you're like you have to sort of think a little bit beyond yeah just really watch it (laughs) I know and it's like you know and not only are you this incredibly talented athlete you're also pursuing a master's degree in becoming a registered dietitian yeah yeah talk to me a little bit about that and also I want to hear about your fueling so you know are you in the you're in the master's program I am I'm doing an extended master's program so I'm in my I started my third year of my master's program and Part of that is, as you know, like I have a lot of competitions throughout the year. And so my school and advisor have been really supportive in letting me sort of do things at a slower pace. So I am in a my third year of my master's program. We'll be starting a study soon that's actually looking at carbohydrate intake of wheelchair marathoners and sort of trying to find some more information about what's a better amount of carbohydrates to have during a race. Because as I have gone along in my program, I realize there are these really intricate things about nutrition that can boost performance. And every sport's a little bit different. And there hasn't been a lot of research on wheelchair racing and endurance wheelchair racing. And it's kind of a weird sport in and of itself anyways, like we said. It's not traditional endurance. It's not completely a sprint short distance either it's a little bit of a hybrid so I am enjoying like learning what those pieces are why something might need different nutrition but also the master's part is cool because we can actually investigate it a little bit and um, hopefully find some information that'll be helpful for not, not only for me but for the rest of the para wheelchair racers out there because it is a growing sport I have always been interested in nutrition. Yeah, I mean, I think it's secret. It's like your secret weapon as an athlete to have like really good nutrition and know your body. 
and to understand because everybody's different. Yeah. And it's one of those things. It's so there's so many messages out there that it could be like, I'm just grateful that I don't have that as one of the things that causes me anxiety. Like, what do I what should I eat? Like, what's the best thing to eat? Because there's so many different messages. So what is the best thing for you to eat? Like, what's your nutrition like when you're training and then like leading up to the race and then on race day? Yeah. Well, the way I think of nutrition is like I think of it in terms of recovery. So I like thinking about it that way because when I am when you're thinking about recovering, usually you think about, okay, what do I need to have now after that bout of exercise that I did? And what's cool about that to me is that meant that all those things needed to be there ahead of time as well because you needed them to do the exercise and then you put them back in afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, what I think about is, okay, what is the training that morning going to be? What is next? Like what's later on in the day and what was yesterday and what does the rest of the week look like? Because the way your body uses different fuels will be dictated by which exercise you're doing. So since we do, right, for, for example, we're doing a lot of longer distance things with high intensity intervals added so to me that tells me carbohydrates are gonna be like the primary fuel source for a lot of those activities so I just ensure that I don't I don't like carb load but I ensure that I'm getting sorts of like all sorts of carbohydrates throughout the day I bring that value down like right before a workout just because you are also in wheelchair racing sitting on your stomach. So most people can't eat quite as big of a meal right Mm -hmm. before training. So I, that's where like my, when I'm thinking about dinner, like comes in like, okay, what are we doing tomorrow? I need to make sure it's like a decent kind of carbohydrate tonight. And then something small as carbohydrate in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then after the workout, like I use a lot of carbs to do it. So mm-hmm. I always make sure my recovery meal has carbohydrates and then also protein in them. So do you because... usually eat protein like, you know, within 30 minutes after an intense workout or is that? I do. That's another thing. So there are recovery windows for different macronutrients. What we know about protein, though, is like the actual window is a lot longer than was originally thought to be. So you have about 24 hours Oh, okay. That's good to, to know. Recover for protein. However, if you're an athlete that has like 11 training sessions that week, if you don't have protein in that recovery meal, it seems like a lost opportunity. It's not going to hurt you to have it in the 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I like to have it there anyways, because it's going to only help the continuous remodeling of my muscles that's going on. Right. The 30 minute range is really for carbohydrates though, because- okay. There's a transporter on your cells that because you're act, like you're exercising, it moves to the edge of the cell. So it's ready to take in more sugar. And then after about 30 minutes, it goes back inside the cell. So the reason you can, that's good for us is if as athletes, you can store as much carbohydrate in your muscles, so your glycogen, right. if you can really boost those levels, um, that's ideal. You don't have to eat as much because you've got more stored. Right. Uh, so I try to make sure... I'm having carbohydrates in that 30 minute window. And then on in marathon season, I, I also like to add the protein there too, because when I eat again, I'm also going to have protein and carbohydrates, but um, it's just this continuous cycle that your body's always wanting some free amino acids to use. Right. Uh, 
And you do the cal, and it's calories in, calories out. Like that's the bottom line when you're racing, right? When you're on yeah. race day, I mean, whatever you're burning, you are putting back in. Yeah, exactly. So the calories in, calories out, yes. And it's just when you start thinking about what those calories are coming from is where it's nice to have someone sort of saying, hey, you used mostly carbohydrate to do that marathon. So you're, you still use your muscles. Like it was your muscles that were working. So you want to have protein there, but you also need to make sure you're having carbohydrates. And then if you're an able-bodied marathoner, you use a lot of fat as well to do that mm-hmm. workout. Yes. And carbohydrates. You use all of your carbohydrates probably, and you tapped into your fat storage for most of the race. So it's just. Why is that different? Is it it's different, different it's muscles? different because of the intensity level. Okay. And what that means, so in wheelchair racing, because we can draft, we can also sprint more often. So there will be a lot of attacks and a lot of surges and things like that. So in order to get energy that quickly, mm-hmm. you can only use carbohydrates. Fat just takes a little bit longer to get the energy to the muscle. Right. So in wheelchair racing, we're going to use more carbohydrates than an able-bodied runner will use because we have to go up to a really high intensity more often than they will go. So for an able-bodied runner, typically doing a marathon, your body is going at a pace where you're going to be really using a lot of your fat to do it so that you can save the carbohydrates in our survival mode that we do. And hopefully you still have them in there. You can sprint more at the end. Is that natural for people, do you think? Or is it to burn fat? Or is that something that you have to learn how to do? That's a great question. You get a lot more efficient as it, at it as mm-hmm. you train. Okay. So everybody going through their, their training up to the marathon, the more you train, actually, the better your body will get at using fat. And it's a way to preserve carbohydrates because they are limited. Like I said, you only really right. have what's in your muscles. No matter how much and, you eat the day before, it's like only yeah, that you exactly. can store for any sport. Yes, exactly. And yeah. that's sort of where that 30-minute window comes in is because you can actually slightly increase those storage. So we don't have a lot of storage, but you can slightly increase it with training and with eating in that 30-minute range. Um, so those are really good things to do. But then just realizing your body is getting better and better and better at using fat because you can go longer. And the more you train, the faster you can go and still use fat, which is excellent because you're still saving carbohydrates that are in your muscles so that you can even go faster when you have to. That's so um, interesting. Yeah. It's a really cool. And like, and we get, we definitely do that in wheelchair racing as well. I wish I could show you a graph right now. Like when you're going, like, say you're going for harder than a jog, but you're not going all out. So this is something you could do for an hour. For right. Example. Okay. So and um, I could also have a conversation or is it like, I do a lot a, of heart maybe, rate training. So I'm like 140 is my zone two. And that comes okay. from triathlon. So yeah, 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 yeah. Say you're in the 140 range and you're feeling comfortable, but you can't talk. You can't like have a conversation. Okay. So that might be right at the thr- threshold of where you're burning fat to where you're tapping into your limited carbohydrate storage. Got it. And so the more the more you train, you can actually raise that level up to where you're going faster, but you're still, you've trained your body that it can use fat so efficiently that you're going even faster than you were previously. So then all those carbohydrates that are, when you're going really fast, they're the only ones fast enough to recruit to actually get you going that quickly. So your heart rate is up now. You have more because you were able to use fat for longer or for at a higher speed to do that. And the same with running. You 
can train at up to where you're going at a fairly you're going at a higher pace than you used to go and it feels more comfortable so you're still just using fat because your fat storage will last so long and then if you add intervals into your training Mm -hmm. that's one way to increase that so you kind of tap up into your carbohydrate stores which are the ones that you have a limited amount of but they they're the only ones that can get you up to that speed but then you go back down and you recover and then you go back up hard again and so it's almost like using your fast twitch muscles to kind of yeah like alternating between fast twitch and slow twitch exactly yeah um so if you think about it in those terms the fast twitch muscles they're the amount of energy that they have to use like Mm -hmm. the gas that they use is limited you only have a certain amount in the tank whereas the, the slow twitch muscles it's almost like they have no gas limit like they could drive forever but you also don't want to lose the race. You want to go with the fast switch muscles every now and then so you can go fast enough. Right. Eventually. And that's where you're like muscle, calling the carbs and you're like, come on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's why it's important to recover. So we do have those storage. And that's why in most people's marathon, they're going to also want to eat something or drink something with carbohydrates. Because say you're you're putting in more intervals in the race, you're going faster. If you continuously drink some beverage with carbohydrates in it, you can then have some even more fuel for those type two muscles. The amount of carbohydrates or the gas for those fast switch muscles that you have in your body is typically done with after about an hour and a half. Yeah. So anything lasting that long, or if you know you want to go hard at the end of that distance, Mm. it's a good idea to have some carbohydrates during the workout, about one gram per hour for able-bodied runners. We're hoping to figure out that for wheelchair racers. Well, I did this test for triathlon where I, for like a week, for a couple of different workouts that I did, I would weigh myself before the workout and after the workout. So I could tell how many calories I was burning during certain workouts so that I knew what I basically needed to eat. It was for one of my first 70.3 distance triathlons that I did. And I think that was one of the best things I ever did because... You know, and every sport is different. So I know, right? You know, um, you know, swimming. Obviously, you cannot eat anything because uh, it's kind of hard. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. I think it yeah. might be the most yeah. similar. And then, no kidding. You know, and then like on the bike, you could basically have like an entire sandwich and like eat whatever you want, like order sushi. You know, the bento yeah. box kind of thing. Yes. Depending on how yep. hard you're going, right? That's the other thing. Right. But and running, you just swam a certain. Yeah, a pretty long distance. Yeah. Now training for the marathon, it's so different. And, you know, I get a like my stomach gets upset really easily with running as opposed to any other sport because I'm just like shaking up so much that like, yes, yes, it's, you know, so I'm just trying to figure out like, I know I need carbs and I know I need them like every 45 minutes. And I know they take like the gels. I use gels. I know you got you use fluid, right? Like liquids. Yeah. The gels. But Oh, you have to take them like 20 minutes in advance, right? Of when you think uh, it you depends. Yeah. I mean, I would say yes. I would say the one you're having at the beginning, yeah, at, that'd be at least 20 minutes. And so how is it for you, like as a wheelchair athlete, like at, what kind of fueling are you doing on the day of the race? Well, for like for most of us, the reason we use fluids is mostly because our hands are in gloves. So like it's really hard to tear a gel. Right. Um, otherwise, I think it would be something people would use at a higher level because they're concentrated forms of carbohydrates. However, 
So we use, most people put a camelback on their racing chair Mm -hmm. and then the straw comes up between our knees and then you can drink it as you go. I typically put about like 60 grams of carb into my camelback, but I'm, I'm terrible that I don't really measure it every single time, which is partly why I wanted to do this study. And every race is so different based on when I do drink um, and how much I drink and kind of depends too on if you're in a pack. Like if you, if you ever, I don't know, it's, it's variable, but I would say with confidence that I probably drink like around 40 grams of carbohydrates throughout Um, the whole, throughout a marathon. For my marathon. Yeah. Yeah. But wheelchair racing marathons like you said my race was an hour 30 is my best time and that's going to be a lot different for the majority of able-bodied runners um who are going to be out there for several hours and so you're the other thing for running is like you said you have all that mechanical like shuffling around on your stomach yeah um causing gastrointestinal distress and that's where it's individual what people's stomachs tolerate. I know athletes who bring like white race cakes that they make, Mm -hmm. um, like rice balls. So those sometimes are more tolerated than gels. Mm -hmm. Some of like the thought is that there's like less, have you ever heard of FODMAPs? No. Um, FODMAPs are, it stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, monosaccharides, polysaccharides, and polyols. Um, and those are basically just, we don't really understand them completely. They're kind of like fiber, but they're molecules that are known to cause gastrointestinal distress. And so some of the thought are that gels have fructose in them, mm-hmm. which is a FODMAP. And so some athletes try to steer away from that and have rice. We just ran a study last year using potatoes, but that was for cyclists. And so... yeah. Cycling it's is so really, different. really hard to know. Yeah, yeah. How runners will be able to um, handle potatoes, but I would recommend at least trying like dehydrated potatoes. What about and sweet potatoes? Different, totally yes. different. No, I think that would be a cool thing to try. I think like 70% of endurance runners experience GI distress. And so the 30% don't. And I think it's figuring out different carbohydrates so it could be rice potatoes it could be gels because the smaller amount at least the volume is a little bit lower but if it's causing you pain maybe trying out some of those even maybe bringing some like applesauce packets and seeing if that's enough and if that helps but then being really cognizant of like the dinner or the night before or the morning before if you're running at night like the other meals that support the workout might be where you personally have to Think about some good carbohydrates to be able to have in there for when you do your long runs. Maybe trying dried fruit or trying out potatoes and rice and seeing. And sweet potatoes. Yes, I love sweet potatoes. That's like my – That's my, my people are like, what could you – if you were on a desert island, you know, what would you want? Sweet potatoes. Yes. <laughs> I know. My favorite color of food is orange. They're so good. And what about – do you use salt tablets like in wheelchair racing? Like are you – does that help you, know, you if your muscle question. starts cramping or anything like that? Exactly. That's a good question. And I think it's, we're just, our races take so much less time to get yeah. to, to finish that we're not really in the state that we need salt tablets. Right. Um, but yeah, but I do think that's something, like you said, when you were weighing yourself before and after mm-hmm. different exercises for triathlons, 
people's sweat rates are different and the kind of sweat people have is different. So it's not necessarily a problem when you're training for a marathon. If you think you have, you'd benefit from salt tablets, like, you know, you're a salty sweater. You definitely don't want to not have enough salt. Right. You just <laughs> I would sound, say that. Yeah. I mean, I keep forgetting that, obviously, like, we're having this conversation and you're a professional athlete who's finishing a race in under two hours. <laughs> but, like, I most know. people, I think I'm exactly. asking from the perspective of, like, because you're also, you yeah. know, studying to be a dietitian and this exactly. is sort of your expertise. No, I would think, I would say that it's important for everyone that's listening to this as training yeah, to do sweat rates and to also determine whether they're a salty sweater or not. And then if you're going for like four hours, you might actually benefit from like a carbohydrate source that's got sodium added. Mm. Um, I think for the bulk of everyone listening to this, actually, probably having an electrolyte sports drink is a good option. Yes, like Scratch. Yes. You're a Scratch athlete. Yes, I love They have a special hydration one that's got extra sodium added, which I've always wanted to be in that level where I would need that. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, we just don't at the moment. And maybe someday when I start doing ultra wheelchair marathons are you gonna do I'll ultras is that so what's like well, the next goal, distance for you i always oh, ask this like i like what's the next yes. distance for you my life goal is to do an iron man iron man so it's yes. interesting that you say that because i know a few people <laughs> i know i was really excited when you said you triathlons i think i mean i just love swimming it's oh my god i was gonna ask sports. you do you swim now i don't want to use the word cross training because I know it's not cross training, but do you ever do alternative sports that might be whenever fun? my coach whenever my coach lets us, which it is every now and then, um, right. maybe two or three times a year. Yeah, uh, he lets me swim, and so yes, I love, love swimming. swimming. Yeah, but it's also like a lot I, of wear and tear on your upper body. Yeah, right? that's what I've noticed. As I think it's important in every sport to have the technique down mm-hmm. if you're going, especially when you're going to combine them. So you're without maybe thinking about it you're getting a lot of repetitive use um Mm -hmm. I think swimming is one of those ones having a someone show you if you don't know it how to do a really nice technique so that you You don't get injured don't overhaul your shoulders more yeah Yeah. because that's what I run into is I start having shoulder pain after about a mile and I think that I would I'm probably not doing something right (laughs) right yeah, I mean, a couple, it's nothing a couple of swim lessons can't fix. I feel like once you're an athlete, you're an athlete. So, you yeah, know, you just kind of like, if you can do it, you find the way. And then, yeah, yeah, yep. Swimming is always, is always awesome, though. But I started doing triathlon and I was a runner. So I, oh I couldn't swim at all. Oh, that's I what I heard. It. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I love it and I, I have a love-hate relationship with swimming, okay. but it feels good. Okay. Yeah, no, I understand that. And yeah, it's just so different. And like wheelchair racing itself doesn't have nearly at the extent of like beating your joints against the pavement right? as running does. Yeah. Um, and yet I can still tell how nice and smooth swimming is and it just kind of feels nice as a change um, to just glide a little bit more yeah um, we also in the winter do a lot of we have a, a skier which is set up to be like a cross-country skiing machine that's so supposed to be amazing yeah oh my gosh it oh uh, it might be my favorite next to swimming they're probably equal I love that kind of training it's just really steady 
slide almost, but mm-hmm. you're working hard. Like you're using your core more to move versus like striking a handring. So I really love the alternate modalities of training is what my coach calls it instead of cross training. Yeah, I think <laughs> I'm going to start using that. Yeah, it's nice. I have a great coach who is a good friend of mine. I have a history of like, you know, for triathlon, like always wanting to run more or always like, I don't know, whatever it is. And she was like, look, if you're going to train for a running race, you can really only run. She's like, you can swim if you want, but like, you know, it's not part of the training. It is important. And I, I'm not trying to say to anyone, like, don't do other things. Like, yeah, to the most, like most people, most people exercising in general is a great thing. Whatever way you can do that, do that any time of the day that works for you do that but at some level if you want to be a really good runner you have to run (laughs) really good yeah do you have any books that you've read that are like super inspiring around training and racing what are some of your favorite books yeah actually two of the books that came to mind as soon as you asked that are so eat and run by scott jurek i read that one of my first years getting to illinois and it just like it pumped me up so much to just training and enjoying racing and kind of at a personal level and to be able to work through hard stuff like yeah it's a great it's very inspiring then the other one is running for mind body and soul I think I have it on the shelf and that was like a really good one for just kind of getting your psychological state in a good spot which is important you're going to be alone for hours yeah. With just your brain. <laughs> so I feel like I feel like mindset is so important. It's like so it much stronger really than anything that you could ever physically do. Yeah, I really think it is. And that's like you said, a lot of the elite runners and elite athletes in general, they might be a little bit different. Like when you're at the highest of the highest, like there's something psychologically that is there. And I think for everybody, just being coming more and more in tune to their mind um is important but Mm -hmm. also to know that exercising i think helps facilitate that too um you'll have a lot of a lot of things to think about a lot of different things you're learning um that you can think through and then and then having books and like podcasts that give you other little cool cues that you can think about are always always helpful the book that i'm reading is by matthew futterman it's been like massively inspiring me lately it's called running to the edge a band of misfits and the guru who unlocked the secrets of speed (gasps) no way and he's his name is matthew futterman he's the deputy sports editor at the new york times do you listen to music when you're training i do yeah you do i do too what kind of music oh it's all over the board i really like this is gonna make this might make you laugh but um I used to listen to like indie music okay like, all the stuff I like to listen to during the day and then all of a sudden I was on a skier like two years ago and my coach as a joke came up and like switched my music to motorhead and like I started immediately going like 10 watts higher and <laughs> like I just felt the it was like so clear of like how music can actually affect you so I listen to rock and roll I listen to a little bit of Heavy metal, some death metal, <laughs> and techno. Like, I really like techno as well. Do you have, like, a song that's, like, that gets you into your, like, intense training mode, <laughs> you know, that you put on when you need to, like, yeah. get faster? Um, yeah, no, I do. The bulk of our training, I would say right now, if I were, like, inside, I would, if I was doing a normal training session, I'd do techno. But 
if I had the chance to like do an 8K time trial on the roller, I would probably put on some death metal. <laughs> it's just like, it's something I don't listen to any other time. And it's just like, my brain is like, whoa, it's like a stimulus, but yeah. um, a novel stimulus. <laughs> yeah. So I probably listen to like death metal. Like I listen to when I'm doing like anything in zone two, like yeah. easy distance, like endurance I listen that's when I listen to podcasts because music I have it has the same effect on me when I'm training I will if I put on my you know I'm listening to like pitbull or like some you know some station out of like London that's like you know they're still doing like EDM and I'll like zone into that and just it's I don't know what it is I go a lot faster though so you know, yeah. and the lyrics and I are think so there's cheesy. Something to switching it up too. <laughs> yeah, like, I've gone back every now and then to some of the old stuff I used to listen to, like even Vampire Weekend. And I'm yes. Like, oh yeah, I'll do this that is too. Nice today, like it wasn't nice. It was. I needed a change. Yeah. But now it's nice to come back. So yeah, but I think yeah. But not on race day, right? Like you don't you you don't or do you yeah. listen to music on race day? I don't listen to music on race day. No, we're actually not allowed to have headphones in. I was um, just about to ask that. And the elite field yeah at least in the wheelchair racing field yeah but that's okay I so I never listen to music outside even training here I never even listened to music even training indoors for like until a few years ago so I I kind of have developed in a way where I don't necessarily need music Mm -hmm. so that music is still like one of these things that like it's something I can add during training if I need to to go faster or for it to feel easier but I don't listen to music during most of our training throughout the year because we're usually outside. Yeah. yeah. And it must be nice. Like, it's not like you're outside in New York City with, like, cars beeping and people screaming. It's yeah, exactly. That's country. what my car. Yeah. We're at the University of Illinois. We're in the middle of cornfields. I'm just, like, able to – my brain just con- constantly goes. Uh, so I – yeah. We I should say, though, we have a grad assistant who works with our team and he was a gymnast and because of that like his lower body his legs are super small like he's just they're just like not very muscly and his upper body is extremely muscly so he's kind of actually like a lot of us Mm -hmm. so he can go into a kneeling hand cycle and he'll pull us so like if you're drafting behind the hand cycle like it's kind of ideal because they can go faster because Mm -hmm. they have gears and we still have the wind broken but he was also a DJ, so he brings a speaker out with him. And so we actually often do get to train outside with music when he's around. That's um, so cool. And it is really fun. And he, like, loves techno. He's, like, awesome at choosing music. So we – I forgot to mention that. Like, we have some pretty nice – if you're near him, like, we have really nice music options outside now. That's um, so cool. I love that idea. Yeah. yeah. I love no, that. It's been so nice. It's been really, really nice. Yeah, if anyone has like a biker with them that they could bring their speaker out, like we just we do that and it's excellent. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's Even different. Recommend it. I love that. I love when I run past people or like when I'm doing like when I'm doing the triathlon and like there's music because it kind of like oh, takes no. you're like you're like, oh, my God, I can't do this. I can't do this. And then you hear like some old like David Bowie song or like some old yes. song and you're like, oh, yes. my God, or like Journey. Right, exactly. You hear something on the course, which you always will. Yeah. And it it's so important to have that. <laughs> so what's your favorite I what's your favorite 
like part of the New York City Marathon? Like, do you have a favorite section? Let's see. I would say my favorite section. I really like the Verrazano Bridge. Like, I love the whole race, but mm-hmm. I really like the start. It's so long that you can kind of, I don't know, and you're kind of alone a little bit because really? people yeah. have spread out already. But you still got all of this energy. Like, you know, it's like a mental jambalaya because you have like, you know, there's a hard race coming up for a long ways. But you just started. So you're, all of your nerves are with you and you're going up a hill. And it's like there's nobody. There's no people because it's just the bridge. And like the sun is rising it's my favorite part I feel like it's just like this like mind zone where you're just like it's almost like time stops you're just kind of in this weird mental space where it's like you're going up the hill there's no spectators around you have a marathon ahead of you that's in New York City and you kind of get a chance to like mentally get ready for that as you're climbing up the very first mile I think it's a cool 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 section we typically it's probably like maybe like eight o'clock in the morning seven thirty maybe yeah, I love that part. <laughs> and what about Boston? You've done Boston. Yeah, I enjoy Boston Marathon a lot. My favorite section is, again, probably Heartbreak Hill, which is at mile 17 to 21. I think there's something cool about climbing hills because it does. It's not a part. It's not a tactical part. It's like mm-hmm. it's your body doing as much as you can in the middle of a marathon. So I think it's a cool you have you have to like you have to recruit your brain to get through that. That's why I like it. You have to recruit your brain to get through the hills. Yes. I think that you basically, that's so interesting that you said that because I love hills. And I could never really like articulate what it is, but I don't like flat. I don't like anything flat. Like I get so bored, but in the, when I'm doing hills, (laughs) it's like, I don't even know what, I don't even know that I just did like as many miles like I don't even know that I'm like already like 50 miles into a bike ride or like I don't feel it yeah. you know because I'm yeah you feel it but you don't feel it mentally yes exactly so that's how I feel as why well. I, I could go a lot longer enjoying a hill than I could on the flat <laughs> and so I it sounds like you like this whole like long slow distance zone to ultra type yeah. marathoning So you're thinking, like, what do you love about long, slow distance? What I like about it is, well, I think maybe I would say it is. It's like you against, maybe not against is the right word, but it's you kind of like trying to overreach. So you're challenging yourself versus when I, I mean, you're doing that. You can do that at a sprint and things like that. But I feel like this one is like, you how far your limits can go like you're trying to overreach those um and I enjoy that (laughs) right I like seeing what my body can do and like going a little bit farther uh um and it doesn't have to be slow enjoy it too so I don't mind if it's like gonna last a while I think maybe that's the other piece of it in being in that zone is that like you get to prolong it (laughs) right and yet you're not going easy. Like, I don't like to go easy. I, I'm one of those people that doesn't really like to be in the draft. I kind of would rather be pulling it just because I like to feel like I'm at a certain intensity. Otherwise, I just kind of feel bored or frustrated. And when you're in that other zone and it's just you, like, you can prolong it. And you can kind of be right at that threshold. And I think that's enjoyable. 
And so what ultra, do you have an ultra in mind that you might do someday? Um, well, at this point, the main like name thing I want to do is like, I would like to do the Kona Ironman. Really? <laughs> yeah. As far as ultras go, like, I'm not sure yet. And I know that's probably the hardest Ironman, but I do, I have some friends who have done it and like, I would love to do that. And I think I'm planning to do it someday. Yeah. As long as I can qualify. <laughs> Plan yeah. to try and qualify. <laughs> yeah. I actually, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I like part of me wants to do it and part of me never wants to do that swim, but part of me wants to go to Hawaii. So we'll see. <laughs> Just yeah, to do exactly. it. I could do it when I'm 90. I keep saying 90 because that's what I think is like the age oh, yeah. where I'm, I'm going to peak. You can do Ironman when you're 90. Because <laughs> I'll qualify. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so funny. Because you yeah, have you to qualify, you know, even I if know. it's hard. And I the mean, qualifiers are almost, I feel like I've heard they're, if not harder, they're just as hard. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not easy. As it should be. Yeah. Well, we could do it together. Yeah, exactly. So I need, like, seriously, I think I have this a little challenge mentally to get over, which is, like, my fear of, like, some of the open water swimming. I, mm-hmm. think, I think the fear is not of sharks, it's of jellyfish, but... It's that, but you know, <laughs> yeah. But I think I'll, I'm almost there. Yeah, you know, I'll get there. Yeah, no, I'm not worried. Fair. It'll happen. I think one of the things that scares me is the swim, but it's the people around you in the swim. Yeah, like in wheelchair racing, no one really wants to touch another person because you'll crash also. Yes. But in a swim, you could kick someone and it's not going to really impact you that much. <laughs> and I don't not want to get kicked, which I know I think you have to get kicked. I feel like it's That's part of it. it goes. It's like it's like the life. Le- it's like it's like I don't know. I mean, not I, I mean, if you let's like it's the same thing we were talking about, you know, with winning. It's like, you know, I'm the type of person I'm, I'm not doing this to obviously to win anything. I'm having fun recreationally. I'm you know, doing something where I can put in the work and get the results based on the work I do. And yeah, I feel like I'm like that recreational athlete that kind of trains a little more seriously. And um, I think most triathletes are like that. And then yeah, you don't always get kicked. It's just, you know, if you want to really win and place in your age group, like you have to get out in front of the pack and, and that's when you kind of maybe get kicked. But and, and or you can stay away from all the like amateur swimmers and just do your own thing. And your okay. swim might be a little longer and you're definitely not going to win. Yeah. <laughs> so it's your choice okay. of the race experience that you yeah. want to have. Right. But you're a winner. Yes. I mean, that's your your this is what you do. So I think but it's a, it's it's a fun sport, too. So, yeah. Oh, cool. And yes. do you have any like parting wisdom or advice? I mean, yeah. Well, one thing that sort of I've been mentally thinking about throughout the last like couple of weeks um and I think this is cool like I think it's like there's really no wasted effort at all so like anything you do whether it worked or it didn't work it's you learned something from it and I think it's it could be a it could be a nice guiding lesson to not be afraid of something but to try something try things challenge yourself a little bit because there's no such thing as a wasted effort like you will get something from it you'll find out something about yourself and you also don't get frustrated as easily with yourself or other people around you when you just know like anything that you did or attempted to do like it was worth it yeah so I think that's what I've been thinking about a lot lot lately both with school and with training and with racing is to just not be hard on yourself because there's no such thing as a waste like you're finding out so many cool rich things just by by putting your putting yourself out there 
That's awesome. That's it's, it's so true. That is definitely an athlete mindset for sure. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Well. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so okay. much, Susanna. That's great. Thank you too. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.